And we're in Job 38 tonight as we continue with a part two of the Lord Answers Job. Uh, I guess I'm not giving you any new news, but you all know what the coronavirus is doing to the world. You know it originated right here in the city of Corona. No, no I'm just kidding. It did not. <laughs> uh, it originated in China. And it is interesting to think about this, that China... And I'm not going to be politically correct here, nor are we really ever, has committed many atrocities over the years. And I could name many atrocities right now that have to do with population control, work environment, cheap labor, uh, their communism and atheism, which is put people in camps and prisons. There's a lot of things that come out of China that are not really positive at all. And tonight we are going to deal with a section of scripture where God says, I am sovereign. And the idea of sovereignty, although you could debate the nuances of sovereignty, means that God is ultimately in control of everything. The book of Job is about God's sovereignty. So a quick definition of sovereignty is that God is the ultimate controller of everything. Now there are people who say that God has a permissive will and a specific will and there's all these different ways that you can kind of slice and dice it. He allows some things but even the things that he allows you have to say he minimally allows them whatever they may be and in our day and age right now and just before I came out here my son was telling me in the back that they've canceled all NBA games because they found out that a center on the Utah Jazz has the coronavirus. So the NBA season is now on hiatus. They are not, they are, they've already uh, concluded that all the March Madness games, which I love, I love college basketball, will be played in front of no fans. And the world, I, I've said this recently, is hemorrhaging, but the world is also panicking. And the panic has moved from China to Italy, and we understand the reasons. We understand that some people have died because of this virus. And we understand that they're now announcing that it is a pandemic. And we would have to submit, honestly, just as we look at the news and we look at the way media works and what people do for political purposes, that the media has blown this up and now people are in a full panic mode. But here's my question for you and me tonight. Is are you panicking? Are you in panic mode? What do you think God might be saying to China, to Italy, to the United States of America, and for that matter, the world tonight? If God is sovereign, if God is the ultimate controller of the world, and we all have to admit that God has been extremely patient on a lot of uh, moral atrocities that have happened throughout the world, not only in China, but in the United States. And God has been very patient, and he's not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. But you, if you're here tonight, and you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have to know that God allows things in his world, in his universe, to get our attention. So here's my encouragement to you. Don't panic. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power love, and a sound mind, okay? 
We are to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So part of our uh, walk with the Lord is to be a thankful people. And I'm working on this all the time. So I'm preaching to myself as I preach this. With thanksgiving, we let our requests be made known to God. And what does God promise? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what? It will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, it does not mean that we don't walk in wisdom. It doesn't mean that you are not prudent and wise about the way you live, the amount of times you wash your hands, you know, whatever, whatever that means for your day-to-day life. I'm not telling you to be silly or unwise. The Bible, does, the Bible encourages us, the Lord of the Bible encourages us to use our minds to, to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. But the church has an opportunity right now to be salve, to be ambassadors of hope, to tell people, look, it will be okay. And sure, it's true. Some people have perished because of this. And, you know, there's more and more people now who are reporting that they've tested positive. But you know what? From a big picture standpoint, most people who get this are going to be okay. So that's what we need to know as well. And we had the H1N1 virus that happened, I think it was in 2008. And it was serious. But look, here's what we need to understand. Do you believe that your life is in God's hands? Do you believe this world is ultimately going to wrap up the way that God says it's going to wrap up? Now we get all this, you know, people are, they're all up in arms about a a whole host of things with doomsday scenarios and predictions being thrown out. The world's going to end in 10 years if we don't do this or don't do that. Don't you believe it? The one who's going to wrap up the times when he has decided is God Almighty. And that's what it means to be a Christian. That's not everything it means, but that's a big part of what it means to be a Christian is I believe that God is on the throne of the world and hopefully on the throne of my life. Amen? Now Job has been questioning that because the book of Job is about the problem of evil. So pray tell, here we are on a night when the world is hemorrhaging, and we get to wrestle with the problem of evil. And when we opened the book 17 years ago, now, just kidding. (laughs) Some of you are like, yeah, I think it was. I don't even remember what year it was now. All right, we're in the 38th chapter of the book of Job. Just a little humor for you, okay? We, We threw out this problem of evil, and we said, we were honest, the problem of evil is a problem. We're in a broken world. Some of you tonight are hurting personally, struggling with your own health, struggling with a difficult diagnosis. Some of you have dealt with years of pain that uh, you've had to try to uh, figure out how to live with. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have loved ones that are ill, and it's not easy to deal with. There's a whole host of things represented in this room. There's a whole host of things represented in our larger body. We can then walk that out to the Christian community in Corona, Southern California, and then we, you know, we look at the world. And right now, I told the group that prays before we do this Wednesday night meeting, I said, I don't know what the world does in times like these. I don't know what the world does. But my hope is in Christ. 
and my encouragement to you is to try to exploit these times to share the hope of the gospel. Because we believe in a Savior who conquered the grave. Not even the grave is going to have the final word. Jesus does. Amen? Father, as we get into your word, would you get your word deep into us? Would you encourage us to have hope, to seize opportunities? The world's in panic mode. The church has the answer. The answer is Jesus. Um, Help us, Lord, and tonight speak what you want to speak to our hearts as we tackle this section in Job 38. May your will be done. May you be glorified in your church and in this generation. And I pray that, uh, Father, whatever message you're trying to send the world right now, and I believe one of the messages is that we need to repent and return to our God. And even that idea of praying and repenting is mocked by many circles in this country. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. May we return back to our God who is so generous and so quick to heal and forgive. Uh, Lord, we cry out to you tonight that you would just start a revival in our nation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Lord answers Job. The major theme is rain or water. In this particular section, we're dealing with Job 38. We're gonna look at verses 25 through 38. The image behind me, the Lord answers Job part two, is that of the storm clouds and the rains. We pick it up in Job 38, verse 25. God continues to ask his questions to Job, 77 questions in all that come from God to Job, and he says, who has cleft a channel for the flood, 38.25, or a way for the thunderbolt, to bring rain on a land without people, on a desert without a man in it, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the seeds of grass to sprout. Now, when we ended our last time together, we were looking at this uh, element we, we, call, we know as H2O or water and the different ways that it can manifest itself. And in fact, in a test tube, what's called the triple point of water, water will freeze at the bottom, liquefy in the middle, and puff steam uh, at the top or out of the top. It's called the triple point of water. H2O or water is a remarkable element in and of itself. God had told Job uh, a few verses earlier that water can be used in warfare. Look at verse 22. He says, Have you entered, Job, the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of distress, for the day of war and battle? Where is the way that the light is divided or the east wind scattered on the earth? Notice the mention of snow in 22, hail at the end of 22, and this uh, being reserved for the time of distress. And I mentioned to you that one of the plagues in the Exodus was a plague of hail mixed with fire uh, or hit the ground and then uh, caused fire. I think it was hail and blood. And uh, there's also another battle that I mentioned to you where in Psalm 68, 14, and you can write down if you didn't get this last time, in Joshua 10, 11, God used hail in the battle, and in Psalm 68, 14, there's a mention of, uh, I believe, their snow. The treasures of snow, in this case, water is used in a time of distress, or a time of battle, or even in warfare. And I mentioned to you the armies of Napoleon and Hitler, 
who because of, of cold weather and snow were uh, uh, upended by the weather. And so God is sovereign over the weather as well. And here the snow can be something that is used uh, to that end for a negative. Uh, in verse 25 there's a contrast. It says God has cleft a channel for the flood or a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain, but here it's rain on a parched land, a land without people, on a desert without a man in it, to satisfy, notice now, here's the contrast, contrasting purpose of the use of water here, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the seeds of grass to sprout. God created an element that can be used for evil or calamity and for good. And I told you as God begins to ask 77 rhetorical questions of Job, many who read the book of Job say, what is with the questions? I don't understand why Job is asked questions by God instead of getting answers. And I'll say to you that this is a, a device, but it is not without an answer. It's just a way of giving an answer in a different way. Because when a rhetorical question is asked, it's asked so that you can participate in the question and consider what the answer might be as the question comes forth. So, uh, Credence Clearwater, Clearwater Revival asks the question, I want to know, have you ever seen the rain? Coming down a sunny day. Okay. Yeah! Anyway. Now, they asked a question in a song, and if you like that song, and if you've been around as long as some of us who now get senior discounts uh, have been, you remember that song. And it's a question, isn't it? I want to know. Have you ever seen the rain? And isn't it interesting with songs and uh, dance and art, the artist often will leave the interpretation to the one who takes in the art or considers the words. Sometimes you'll hear uh, an author of a song, and someone will ask, well, what, what does that mean? And they might say something like, well, it's left for you to inter interpret. Now, we got to be careful with that when it comes to Scripture, of course, right? There's only one right interpretation of Scripture. But the point is this. When a rhetorical device of questions is asked, it brings you into the conversation, so to speak, and then you get a chance to consider the meaning of the question so that there is an answer in the question. God could have said to Job, hey, just be quiet, sit down, shut up, and let me tell you about the universe that I created. And then maybe if I want to allow you to speak, you can talk. But that's not what God did. God brought Job into the process in the questions. And it is an interesting thing to think about. And in Southern California, I don't know if, if you do this, but I look at the weather app all the time on my phone, and the rain is here. Have you noticed? If you look at your phone, don't do it right now, if you look at your phone, the next seven days are rain, 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 rain. And they say it never rains in Southern California. Anyway, <laughs> what's with all the songs? Oh, there's more to come. Just hold on. And the rain is interesting, isn't it? Because the rain is really, in many ways, miraculous, although meteorologists and 
scientists will tell us that, you know, they've got it all figured out. But it is interesting to think about a cloud up in the sky that dumps water on the earth. And the water is uh, vital for life. Life is really dependent on the water. And there's uh, stories in our Bibles where there's periods of time where there was drought and there was no rain. And people were crying out to God. And, you know, even in Southern California, we went through a drought not that long ago, and I started to look at the, the morals and politics of, of California, and, and like, well, duh, I'm surprised it hasn't come sooner. Because I, I do believe that man is pridefully arrogant, but are you paying attention about how quick things can switch? Anybody out there in the stock market right now? Hey, I have a 401k when I was working in the secular world that I transferred, and it's still there. And right now, the roller coaster is heading downhill, right? How long does it take for the world to panic? If the book of Revelation is fulfilled in some of our lifetimes, and let's just say some of the plagues that you've read about in the book of Revelation happen, how proud do you think, how quick is it going to be for man to, to run into a hole somewhere. We think we got it together until a little thing happens or a, a minor thing or a fairly major thing and all of a sudden we see what happens to humanity, right? We ain't that solid, folks. There's a bunch of people in panic mode big time. And so the question becomes, to whom do we look? To whom or on whom do we rely? Now, this same God who makes the hail and the snow and can use it for negative purposes is the same God who brings the rain 26 to satisfy uh, parched places, places that we might not even, even think about. Notice in 26, he brings rain on a land without people, on a desert without a man in it. Perhaps the underlying question is if you were running the universe, Job, would you? Would you bring rain on a place when there, where there was no people? Would you even care? Would you even bother to pay attention to it? Would you bring rain on a parched ground to cause seeds of grass to grow when nobody even cared about that region of the world? But God says, I care because I made every inch of the earth and I take care of every inch of the world. And Job, you live in your little world. It's your house and your farm and your servants and your children. And it's understandable. We all got our world, right? And, you know, your world could be this big or it could be a little bigger or whatever your turf may look like. But how big is your world? How big do you think? I'll tell you what. The things that really bother me, humanly speaking, are the things that bother me. Everybody with me? Sometimes if I hear news elsewhere in the world, I'll go, oh, that's too bad. Oh, that's terrible. I get prayer requests, and no doubt, I pray with as much fervency as I can muster. But when it come on my land, in my farm, near my house, oh, it's a different situation. Can I get a witness? And God's saying to Job, wait a minute. How big is your thinking? You're questioning how I run the universe, Job? Hey, would you bring rain on a parched ground where nobody lived? Because you know I do. 
I take care of areas of the world and problems and situations that you don't even fathom. They're not even in, in your mind to think about because they don't affect your world, Job. And God is not calling Job a bad guy. He's proud of Job. He loves him. He boasted about him. But God says, I give life-giving rain. I can use the rain and the ice in warfare, and I can use it to bring life. I can create a channel. One writer says here in verse 26, the, the uh, 25, the channel is poetic language for the way rain travels or the path the rain takes from the heavenly storehouses down to the ground. This channel is cleft, indicating deliberate action by God. It does not happen by chance. It is associated with a thunderbolt, and we are to picture here a massive rainstorm. This is what God does. God set up the world to allow water to water even parched areas, even land that you may own or care about or you're trying to uh, have things grow. There are areas of the world, I have to be honest, that are barren, where nobody lives, or I don't think about, where I never even give a second thought to. But God brings growth to it. In Matthew 5, Jesus, preaching the Sermon on the Mount, said, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax gatherers do the same? If you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 43-48. Jesus uses the image of sun and rain to speak of God's love towards ungrateful people. He walks the idea out to say to us, do you care about people and pray for people who persecute you? Do you love people who don't love you? Do you greet people who don't greet you? See, this is, this is something that we step back with the rhetorical questioning and we begin to ask the question, look what God does. Look what he does every day for so many people, including the very breath in our lungs. And I wrote in my notes, do we have another hint here in the question as to why God has allowed the trial and will ultimately bring the healing rain into Job's life? And I think the key word is growth. The words in verse 27 are satisfy, waste and desolate places, and sprout. And when trials come, they cause me to grow. I've said to you many times from this pulpit, I'm not saying I like it. <laughs> I'm not saying that when I quote James chapter 1, verse 2, consider it all joy, <laughs> my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It produces, and it has its perfect result, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Praise the Lord. I'm going through a trial. Praise the Lord. I'm going to grow, grow, grow. No? Is it true, though? And so God brings the difficult seasons where it's the hard ground, the the icy times, if you will, 
and then he brings the same element to cause growth. Take a look, Isaiah 55. It's a little bit to your right, okay? You're going to pass up um, Psalms and Proverbs. Go a little bit further. Go to Isaiah 55. And let's take a look here at verse 6. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. 55, 7 of Isaiah. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 55.10 For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not re return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. Let's go back to the book of Job. Someone told me long ago, says Credence Clearwater Revival, there's a calm before the storm. I know it's been coming for some time. When it's over, so they say, it'll rain a sunny day. I know, shining down like water. I want to know, have you ever seen the rain? Isn't it a good question? Have you ever seen beneath something that you see? Have you ever paused to look a little bit deeper at what you take for granted? Have you ever drank a glass of water and just went, hmm, H2O is a pretty interesting thing. Ever dove in a pool, considered uh, an ocean or a river, a snow-capped mountain where waters come rushing down to feed a stream? Ever just marveled at God's creation? Ever just said, Lord, how'd you think of that? Water's so cool. But you know what? For the most part, we don't do that. My family and I went on a trip. We visited my youngest son who had a couple of performances. He attends school in Arizona. And we we're staying at a one and a half star hotel. <laughs> Just kidding. It was a little bit better than that. Uh, but there was a guy working at the hotel and he said something like, how are you doing today? And I said, I'm do doing good. How are you doing? He goes, I'm doing great. And he goes, you know what? Most people aren't even grateful to be alive. They're not even grateful for the day that they've been given. He started preaching to me. I'm like, preach it, brother. Preach it. See, we get so caught up on what we think we deserve. We don't even understand when God sends the rain on our parched lives. When the grass grows up, then we go, oh, that's what should happen. That's what should happen. 
Should it? Does he owe us that? And yet he is so good and so gracious. It says in Job 28, if you flip back there for a second, speaking of wisdom, God understands its way. Job 28, look at verse 23. Talk about wisdom. He knows its place, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Job 28, 25. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, Job 28, 28, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Back uh, over to Job 29, 19. Job compared his former life and wisdom to rain. He said in Job 29, 19, I am like a tree whose roots reach the water, whose branches are refreshed with the dew. Reading from the New Living. New honors are constantly bestowed on me, and my strength is continually renewed. 29, 21. Everyone listened to my advice. They were silent as, I, as they waited for me to speak. After I spoke, they had nothing to add, for my counsel satisfied them. They longed for me to speak as people longed for rain. They drank my words like a refreshing spring rain. When they were discouraged, I smiled at them. My look, look of approval was precious to them. And then over to 3626, 3626, Elihu, who's the last of the uh, friends who speaks to Job, says these words, 3626, he says, Look, New Living Translation, God is greater than we can understand. His years cannot be counted. And then 27 and following in the New American Standard. He draws up the drops of water. They distill rain from the mist, which the clouds pour down. The rain pours down from the clouds, new living. They drip upon man abundantly, new living. Everyone benefits. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thundering of his pavilion? Behold, he spreads his lightning about him. He covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges peoples. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Its noise declares his presence, the cattle also concerning what is coming up. 37.1 At this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Listen closely to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it loose and is lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing great things which we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. To the downpour and the rain, be strong. He seals the hand of every man, that all men may know his work. The early and uh, latter rains cover it with blessings. Psalm 84, 7. Psalm 147, verse 8 says, He provides rain for the earth, makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beasts its food and to the young ravens which cry. He creates a channel for the rain. Michael W. Smith, some years ago, sang, Let it rain. 
Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Remember that song? And it's just a cry. Let it rain. Let your blessings come down, O Lord. See, in God's sovereignty, he can bless with the power of a flood, the power of ice and snow, or he can bless with the rain that satisfies the soul. There's an invitation to come to Jesus, and here's what it says. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty ones, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. Let it rain. Jesus came to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, and he said to her, if you knew who it was who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living waters. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. Man, life, when it gets parched and dry, when the question marks come, when people panic and there's difficulty and they inevitably come, what does it do? We say, Lord, let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Many of you, when you first became a Christian, it's because you were in a tight spot. You were in a dry place. You were in a confusing time. And God brought the rain into your life. Would you take care of them if you had the resources to do so? The desert and the uninhabited places. Well, God says in verse 28, back in Job 38, he says to Job, has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? Notice the intimate imagery of parenting. Does the rain have a father? Who begets or begot, has begotten the drops of dew? 29, from whose womb has come the ice and the frost of heaven? Who has given it birth? Water becomes hard like stone, and the surface of the deep is imprisoned. A few months back, we watched the movie Togo. It's about an Alaskan sled dog um, that was a pain to its owner. How many of you saw the movie Togo? You should watch this movie. If you're a dog person, you got to watch this movie. So the dog was a rebel, and he was constantly being kind of locked into places, and he would always break out and find his owner and find the sled, and he wanted to run, and Finally, he became the lead dog for this Alaskan dog sled. And this dog was unstoppable. It would just keep going and pulling the sled. And in the story, actual, actually based on a true story, the town needs medicine for kids that have this illness. And the weather's so bad that they can't fly a plane and they can't do anything. I think it's in the early 1900s. And so this dog sled, uh, this guy that won all these races, he takes his dog's on really an impossible journey to try to get this medicine to these kids before they perish. And it's all about this journey led by this, this lead dog. And one incredible scene is, to kind of cut the time short, he crosses an ocean. And the ocean has been frozen over, but it's starting to break up. And there's some harrowing moments in the film where the sled has to make it over the cracked um, uh, ice as the as it's opening up it's just like a it's an incredibly powerful scene 
And this is the power that's behind some of this language. The power of water. Water is a miracle. God is the father of it. He has begotten it. It comes from his womb, using poetic imagery of parenting. That's the frost of heaven. He gives it birth. Water becomes hard like a stone. It's because he designed it to be so. The surface of the deep, incredibly, even oceans become imprisoned by ice. One writer said, this has been called a beautiful interlude, a poetic vignette of sheer lyrical uh, delight. The imagery and origins is beautiful and intimate. God says, I am the parent of water and ice and snow. Now, think with me, students of, of the Bible. Um, what do you think God might be trying to convey to Job in the question? Have you considered the water? Have you considered the snow? Have you considered who its father is? Have you considered who its parent is? Can I submit to you? That I think Job has been wondering in his calamity, does God love me? Is God my father? Is he my creator? And if so, why all this disaster that's come my way? We have been taught, based upon Scripture, to cry, Abba, Father. We've been taught to pray by Jesus, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But through Job's calamity, not only does Job wonder if he's God's child, he believes that he has become God's enemy. And God, using the rhetorical device of questions and creation power, I think may be implying, this is my personal take, Job, I am your father. I begat you. I love you. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Sometimes when I'm whining and complaining, whether out loud or in my heart or mind, I sometimes wonder why God puts up on me, with me. Anybody else feel that way sometimes? Oh Lord, here I go again. And if you've ever found yourself in a negative season where you can turn just about everything around for a negative thought, anybody been stuck in a season of stinking thinking? Oh, I know, but there's something underneath that's terrible about this. I just know it. Something terrible is coming. Something terrible is going to happen. Everything is terrible, right? And sometimes we get overwhelmed by things that are happening in our lives or around us, and we find ourselves kind of going into that mode where now we wonder if God has set his target sights on us. That's what Job was thinking. Job began to look at the world and everything in it, and he was like, does God just use all this stuff for, for my calamity, wind and all this stuff? Well, God is the originer, originator and creator of the elements. He is their father. He is Job's father. And he is your father. He gives snow like wool, Psalm 147:16. He scatters the frost like ashes. He cast forth his ice as fragments. Who can stand before his cold? He sends forth his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters to flow. He declares his words to Jacob, his statutes and his ordinances to Israel. 
He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his ordinances, they have not known them. Praise the Lord, Psalm 147, 16 through 20. What's the point? Well, Israel could stand back and look at their history and go, well, we've had good times. We've had the reign of David and Solomon and you know, the majesty of, the, of Israel when it was at its heights and Solomon's wisdom was being sought by people from all over the world. But Israel's had some lows, some real severe lows. And it could cause someone in Israel to say something like, are we really God's covenant people? Is this what it means to be a covenant in covenant with the Almighty? Right? And Job, you know, remember early in the book, he would wake up early, make sacrifices just in case his children did something wrong. This is his question. And within God's question is the answer. Job, I love you. I didn't make the snow in my image. I didn't make the ice in my image. I didn't make the birds in my image or the bears in my image or the angels in my image. I made you in my image. See, God is the creator of all things. And as we are looking up to the rain, God asks to Job, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Constellations here. Can you lead forth a constellation? If you have an ESV, it says Maseroth. We'll come back to that. In its season and guide the bear with her satellites. Do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? And what I did in my notes is I began to underline uh, some action words. Bind the chains, 31. Loose the cords. Lead forth a constellation, 32. Guide the bear. The ordinances of the heavens. The rule in 33. You've uh, all heard this idea of, the, uh, of binding and loosing, right? And in some circles, the idea of binding and loosing, people think it's a way you can pray where you can bind things and loose things. But in Matthew 18, Jesus was talking about church discipline and how God will ratify in heaven a decision that we make on the earth if you look closely at Matthew 18. But Jesus also talks about binding the strong man and uh, images like this, this idea of binding and loosing. No, look at the language again. Can you bind the chains here of constellations or stars or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead them forth? Can you guide them? Here's the idea. Job believes that the world's gone mad and he's wondering, is God really in control? Because things have been bound and loosed in Job's life. Remember, Job had a great life. He was an extremely wealthy and prosperous man with a big family, lots of joy, lots of happiness, lots of parties, lots of produce. And now everything, you could say, has been loosed. All hell's been loosed against him. And as God gets Job to look up at the stars, he says, in essence, to Job, even though things look out of, your uh, out of control in your life, I'm the one ultimately who's loosed and bound. Now some people struggle with God's sovereignty as it relates to the problem of evil, but there's security in God's sovereignty. Because if I know that something comes into my life, if it does come into my life, it is first passed through the filter of God's love and good, then at least I know that even if I don't get it, 
even if I don't understand it, even if I am presently suffering, even if I am struggling, I know ultimately for some reason, even if I don't learn it this side of heaven, God has allowed it into my life through his grace and love. In other words, he's still running the universe. He's still commanding the stars. He's still binding and loosing things. Now think with me, students of the Bible. In Scripture, Job 38.7 says that the stars, the sons of God, sing together when God made everything. And, and sometimes stars are uh, a symbol of an angel. Okay, at the beginning of the book, so angels are sometimes compared uh, to stars. At the beginning of the book, what star was loosed against Job? Satan. And if, see, Job doesn't know what happened in the heavens in the conversation, right? All he knows is he's been pummeled. <laughs> But the behind-the-scenes look tells us that God initiated Job. He brought Job up in the presence of, of Satan or the Satan. And then when Satan asked permission, God says, now you can do this much, but you cannot take his life. As Job considers the stars that God calls every one of them by name, underneath the question is that God has loosed and bound things in Job's life. I will tell you, I do not understand it. I don't fully understand the angles of the problem of evil. But my Bible tells me that God is sovereign. And God's going to get me to the finish line. Amen? So in, write this down for your notes. Revelation 9, 1 through 11, gives this scene of the, the bottomless pit. And there's an angel over the pit. And that angel is summoned to release uh, the spirits, if you will, that come out of the pit and they're used in the end time scenario. And God is even sovereign over that. It's God allowing something to happen in his timing. So I think it's good for us to look up when things are going uh, on a downward path in our lives. I think God is saying, look up. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds, 34, this is our final section, so that an abundance of water may cover you? We're going back now to water, 35. Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are, does lightning do your bidding? Can you imagine if lightning lined up in the morning and said, what do you want us to do today? What do you want us to do? Send me flying at something, please. All right. Let's see. <laughs> here I am, Lord, says the lightning bolt. Send me. Wow, would that be pretty cool to have that kind of control just for a couple hours? It's a couple lightning bolts I think I'd send to a few areas. <laughs> just kidding, sort of. Anyway. <laughs> Who has put wisdom in the innermost being? Some scholars believe 36 uh, could have uh, the underlying idea of understanding rain because of the verses uh, it's surrounded by. Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or has given understanding to the mind? Let's take it at its base level. You ever thought about thinking? You're thinking about it right now, aren't you? Isn't the idea of thought an interesting thing to think about? Why do you have the ability to think? Why can you reason? 
Well, because God allowed you to. Because God gave you a mind. And reasoning faculties and capacities and the ability to learn and grow and take in new ideas and concepts. In fact, uh, somewhere deep in our brain, from what I understand of science, we really technically never forget anything. We just have to find ways to go and get it. And I struggle with that particular <laughs> idea. The ladle, you know, just scooping it up sometimes. It's like. But think for a moment. God allowed you to think. I remember Pastor Mel some years ago said they were praying before a meal and his child was praying as one of those children's prayers that are always so precious. And hey, God, and I thank you for the parks and the napkins and I want to thank you for taste buds in Jesus' name. See, God didn't have to give us taste buds. He could have just had it so that we just go to a fill-up station and we just get the fuel that we need, but we get to taste food. <laughs> Anybody excited about that? I am. Especially Italian dishes. Oh, yes. Who can count the clouds by wisdom or tip the water jars of the heavens? Remember, it's poetic language. When the dust hardens into a mass and the clods stick together. Now we're stopping at verse 38. A few thoughts about thought. Think for a moment about thought. It's deep, isn't it? The fact that we can think and reason is a miracle. And in fact, in fact, you know, thinking about the human capacity of thought and the brilliance that's come out of the human mind, and to think that that mind, designed by God, is nowhere near the mind and capacity of God's mind. Whew. It's heavy. Job, perhaps if you know, then you could figure out your current trial, if you knew how the clouds worked, how the heavens pour down water, etc., how the constellations are guided, etc. So the issue here ultimately comes down to who's in control. The rhetorical questions allow Job and us to think deeply about life. Verse 38 talks about the clods of dirt or of mud. Two ways to see this. They may be the result of the rainfall or the hard, dry clods of the earth that show the desperate need for rainfall. This one writer says, the parallel with the covenant curses in Deuteronomy 28, in which hardened earth is a sign of drought, su suggests the latter. It suggests spiritual dryness, parched, without water. If you've ever been in your backyard during the heat of summer and if you've tried to work on corona dirt, you may have left your shovel in the dirt because there's more rocks than dirt. You're like, <laughs> right? The dirt can be so hard. And you know, if the rain comes and moistens that dirt, it's much easier to work with the ground and pull weeds and all that kind of stuff. And so here's, here's the connection, I think, and this is the final thought. I think if the Deuteronomy 28 connection of the dry ground and the covenant is the setting, then Job may be saying something like this. Oh Lord, are we still in a covenant? Do you still love me? Am I still your son? Did I do something to break the covenant? 
See, all throughout the book, Job's been asking, did I do something wrong? What did I do? Could you tell me what I did? Could you give me a written piece of paper with the charges? This is what he's been saying all along. And it's been silent so far. And Job's wondering, are we not in covenant anymore? And, and usually, you know, when we're going through something difficult, let's face it, we all, even though we don't want to do it, we usually do something like this. Some form of, what did I do to deserve this? Does God still love me? Why this evil calamity in my life, around me, I don't understand. And God, I think, is saying, Job, I'm about to let it rain in your life. And I'm not talking about a negative rain. I'm talking about a rain of growth because if you've been with us, you know the end of the book, God, God does what? He restores Job and everything in his life. And he gets, Job gets more at the end than he had in the beginning. And he lives a long, healthy, happy life. And he dies at a fruitful old age. But right now, in the midst of his trial, he doesn't get it. And maybe if we could read, read between the lines and steal the, the lyrics from the song, Job might be saying, Lord, when's it gonna rain? <laughs> Let it rain. Would you open the floodgates of heaven? Everything in my life is dry. My body's dry. I feel like I'm in a spiritual drought. I feel like my land, my family, my heart, my life, everything is dried up. Is your water coming again? Is it going to rain again? And God says, I am going to bring the rain. And you will find growth and beauty and hope again. Father, thank you for this section of the book of Job. Thank you for the image of water. Uh, we see this many times in our Bibles. We see it in Psalm 42 when the writer describes a parched and thirsty land where there is no water, and he says, my soul thirsts for you, O God. And it's in the dry times, I think, Lord, that sometimes we realize how desperately we need you. How desperately our neighbors need you, our family members need you, how desperately our nation and this world needs you. And sometimes you bring times of drought, so to speak, to get us to see the value of who you are, the beauty of who you are, the power of who you are. Sometimes how small our thinking is, and sometimes we don't realize how big our God is. Thank you that you're on the throne no matter what comes our way. Would you increase our faith tonight? Would you help us in times of drought and in times of questions when the ground is parched to say, Lord, let it rain in my life. Fill this cup. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that it's your power, your grace, your life, your love coming through my life. Now tonight, here you are, and I don't know where you all stand spiritually, but I would just I would plead with you to cry out for Jesus to save you if you don't know him. Believe in his death and resurrection on your behalf. You see, God used the calamity of the Christ, the one who was life, the one who was the author of life, to die on a terrible cross to bring living water to your life. He took what was a terrible evil perpetrated on the innocent Christ and brought living waters out to my life and yours 
If you've never received those living waters, you can do that tonight. Just keep your head and heart bowed and just say, Jesus, would you save me? I want to be your child. I want to know those living waters. I want them to flow in and out of my life. If you've been a prodigal and you've been away for some time and you feel parched and dry, or maybe the problem of evil has gotten the best of you and you, your faith is dried up, he can bring new and living water into your life right now. Just open up your heart. Bring your cup. He'll fill it to overflowing again. And if you're saying here tonight and, and just trying to fight the good fight and walk out your faith, I pray the Lord will minister times of refreshing to your soul. That that water of life will come from the Holy Spirit, filling you, strengthening you, and overflowing from your life into others. In Jesus' name, I ask.